0: Oh progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Many years ago, the Lord called me out of the worldly American church, and I took seven years where I didn't work. My wife and I simply waited before the Lord. We read the scriptures. We Fasted, we prayed, we lived with a family, as housemates. We were basically homeless during those, those years. During that time, the Lord gave me a commission, and it was to preach one word: repent. I took it from Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Of course, John the Baptist had really only one message. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, repent. Peter came preaching at that day of Pentecost and his message was also repent and so I came with the message of repentance some people ridiculed me saying pastor you say the same thing in every sermon it's said in a different way it's interesting but all you're saying is we need to repent and that was true I could only preach what the Lord had given me to preach. You see, I'm not somebody. I'm not an important person. I'm not successful in the eyes of the world. I'm not, I'm not somebody. I'm just a fellow pilgrim on the way to the celestial city. And I'm only going to do I'm only going to speak. I'm only going to go as Jesus directs my steps. Some years into this ministry with the National Prayer Chapel, the Lord graciously gave me another word. It came about when a a dear friend gave to me a book about the sinning Christians. And I suddenly saw for the first time the absolute ugliness of a man or woman calling themselves a Christian, continuing to walk in their sin and their rebellion and claim that, as the Gnostics, that they were still saved. And so I preached Holiness. That was the second word the Lord gave me. I preached piety. Romans, the sixth chapter. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He exposed to me the lie of legal justification. Justification in the Old English meant literally to be made holy. Holy. And of course, if you followed this broadcast, you know that I speak often about being made holy. Colossians, the third chapter, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ Jesus. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Well, the result of this preaching of holiness, of a pure heart before God, the result of preaching repentance and then holiness, we got caught in the trap that most holiness churches have historically gotten caught in. And that is being primarily concerned about piety, about holiness about living a clean life, and that is vital. But in the midst of that, we lost what the Apostle Paul addresses so eloquently over here in First Corinthians. I'm going to read you a portion of it. Please, this is introduction today. Let me lay a base so that we can then talk about what the Holy Spirit is giving to me now. 1 Corinthians 13 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I've gained nothing. Now here's the description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Well, you and I both know that The kind of love we've experienced in the modern church and in our modern day has always failed. I'm reminded again, if I have the tongues of men and angels without love, without patience, without kindness, without boasting, with not being rude, with not being self-seeking, then I'm nothing. It doesn't count. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all the theology, if I know all about the end time and revelation and I can explain it to everybody and, and tell them what's going to happen, I listened to a broadcast this morning. It was deeply disturbing to me as these three walk through their understanding of what's going to happen in a pre-trib rapture and then scoffed at those people who do not believe in a pre-trib rapture and each extolled their own excellence. I finally could listen to no more and I turned it off because... The pride was so palpable. The arrogance was so strong. It grieved my heart. They weren't patient. They weren't kind. They were boastful. They were proud. They were rude. They were the keepers of the right and the wrong. And I have to tell you, I've walked in that for so many years. And that's part of what happened at the National Prayer Chapel. We became arrogant. We became proud. We were not friendly. We were not safe. Because love was missing. It grieves my heart to say that. Even yet today, people that I know that I try to that I try to talk with, I try to minister to, and I try to explain what I'm going to tell you in just a moment. They blow me off. They don't want to hear it. They know what's right. They've been well taught, and they were well taught. But without love, that being well-taught has no value. Without compassion, without mercy, without patience, they have nothing. One man who professed powerful brotherhood and love for me kept referring to people that disagreed with him or Or pagans who didn't line up with his value system. He'd call them garbage. I was so grieved by that. I finally spoke to him about that. And a short time later, he cut me off and he's gone and no longer communicates. I understand why. He's a very proud, arrogant man. Pride and and arrogance... Hide ignorance. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. So, I began addressing all of the issues That have to do with holiness. And I still am a holiness preacher. That's what I call myself a holiness preacher. And my call is for people everywhere to repent. My call is also to be sanctified entirely. So that you don't walk in any known sin, the people who tell you that you can't leave your sin are making the blood of Jesus the same as that of bulls and goats, O Lord, according to Hebrews the tenth chapter. If someone says to me, "I'm saved, I'm going to ask them, "What are you saved from, and what are you saved to?" And if you say you still are walking in sin, you're not saved, you're still lost, and you need a new birth experience in Jesus. All of that is true. But if all of that truth is made legal, then we're missing love. We're missing love. And without love, nothing in the gospel works. Repentance doesn't work. Holiness doesn't work. Nothing, nothing in the scripture works without love. It was love that brought Jesus to this earth. It was love that caused him to lay down his life on that rugged cross and die for you and me. That was sacrificial love. He was the atoning sacrifice to reconcile us to God. Now, I want to take you to another scripture. And I'd like to spend some time talking about it. I have to tell you that the message of repentance was a powerful revelation for my heart. The message of holiness and a pure heart has been a powerful message from the Holy Spirit to my heart, and I have preached them with all of my might. I've preached them and preached them and preached them. Now he's given me two revelations. One I've spoken about already on the broadcast, but I will address it. Please, please. Again today. And it's found in the book of Matthew. Let me turn to it quickly. This is a revelation that has changed my life again. These three revelations. It's found in the sixth chapter the book of Matthew. I'll begin reading in verse 9. This is how Jesus said we were to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And of course, in the Greek it literally is saying, your name must be considered holy. We must lift your name up as holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. It is an absolute essential. But then in verse 10, there's no punctuation here. It was added later. So it would read, Our Father in heaven, your name must be considered holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what is being said here? Your kingdom also must come, and it must come on earth as it is in heaven, and it is the will of God that that kingdom come. We can find many passages of Scripture where Paul talks about the mystery, the mystery of the church. And it's all about the coming of the kingdom of God on the earth, where the will of God is being done. Now, for a long time, I looked at this passage of Scripture, and I understood it to say that if I prayed this prayer, your will be done, I was asking that the will of God would be done in my life. And that's true. I am asking that the will of God be done in my life. But there's a context to it. Context, context, context. That means what surrounds it. It's a basic hermeneutical principle. You don't pull one passage of Scripture out and say this is what it means separate from the Scriptures that surround it and the other Scriptures that speak about the same issue. We don't build a doctrine on one Scripture. So, he's saying, your kingdom must come. Your will must be done on the earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying... When you pray this prayer, I'm enrolling in bringing forth your kingdom on the earth. Then in response to that, he says, give us today our daily bread. Well, why is it necessary now in this order of prayer to give us our daily bread so that we have the strength and the energy to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth? according to the commands of Jesus. Give us today our daily bread, and then forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. In other words, there is something that will stand in the way of you being able to do the work of the kingdom, and that which stands in the way are the offenses that you have not forgiven others for, or offenses that you have committed. That must be cleaned up before you can be effectual in the work of love, the work of the kingdom of God. The word for the kingdom of God is repent, holiness, love. And love means bringing about the kingdom of God upon this earth. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's not the gospel of my satisfaction. It's not the gospel of my prosperity. It's not the gospel of me getting what I want. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God coming upon the earth through the blood sacrifice of Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he says, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into the piercings, the assaying, the testing of metal. He's saying, save us from the the piercings and the piercings come because we're distracted from the work of the kingdom and we go off on our own direction and we pierce ourselves through with many sorrows because of our desire for money. He sang, Lead us not into parasmus or temptation or the piercings, but deliver us from the evil one, or literally in the Greek, deliver us from the toil and the pain, the anguish of being pierced through with the world's problems. I hear some people say, "'Oh, I created debt. "'Now I have to pay the debt off.' "'I thought the blood of Jesus covered your debt. "'I thought Jesus would pay your debt "'if you would do what he asked you to do for him. "'What did he ask you to do for him? "'He asked you to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth. "'But you said, "'No, I'm too busy. "'I'll be pious.' I'll be holy. I'll be righteous. I'll repent. But I'm going to be about my own business. I'm not going to be about kingdom business. And some of you have not won one person to Jesus by your testimony. You have been ashamed of Jesus in your workplace. You've been ashamed of Jesus with friends. And so you have won no one to the cross of Jesus. You have not brought the kingdom of God upon the earth. Now, I want to go with you out of that revelation that our assignment is to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth. And we could go very quickly over here in Matthew 28, 19. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's called the Gospel Commission. It's for every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ and enters into his kingdom. It is a primary It is a primary responsibility for every Christian. It's not optional. If you read in Matthew, and I'll go back to this again quickly. He says, the love of most will grow cold. Verse 13, this is Matthew 24, verse 13. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. What do you mean stand firm? Stand firm in the gospel. Sharing the gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, go with me over here to this new revelation that has just come so powerfully upon me. And I have to tell you, as I've shared this with several people, they have said to me, Oh, Pastor, I know that's true. I, I, I understand that. I've known that for years. You may just be discovering it now, but I've known that. I'm troubled by that answer. Because I know those people who answer that way are filling their heart and their mind with feasting at the table of demons. They may know it intellectually, and that is the great problem we're facing. We know repentance, we know holiness, we may even be growing in holiness. But we lack love and compassion for the lost and the dying. I'm going to take us back now. I know you've heard me preach on this, but I want to touch once again today to Revelation, the third chapter, to the last of the seven churches. This is the church at Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, obviously speaking about our Lord Jesus. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched and pitifully poor and blind and naked. I want to go back and I want to highlight a word. And when the Holy Spirit showed me this, it was like an electric surge of the Holy Spirit went through my heart. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, I have always thought of this passage incorrectly. Thinking, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I thought it referred to how I feel inside. Am I passionate about the gospel of Jesus? Do I desire Jesus to be my friend? And is he my friend? And so I've always understood that if you want to be close to the Lord, you need to take time every day to read the scriptures. That's true. And I have a set time every morning when I go into the prayer closet and I spend one hour not preparing for the broadcast, but one hour just fellowshipping with Jesus in scripture and in prayer. Often I'm there long before my appointed time, and he always meets me. Now I meet him at other times through the day where I take time to pray, fast, worship, I go to bed at night praising his name. I wake up in the morning worshiping and praising his name. But I want you to catch something. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I know your deeds, what you do. Do you understand? It's what you do that determines whether you are cold or hot. It's not a feeling, it's not a passion. It's not a desire. It's what you do. Now, if it's what I do that determines whether I'm cold or hot, it's not something I have to work up in my heart. Please, may I say this to you? Emotions, passions, are a byproduct of something else. They're not something we work up. How do you feel about Jesus? Well, you know, I'm okay. That means you're not passionate, and you can't work up any passion. So what brings passion? I received a phone call yesterday from a woman who had, as she was driving to work, saw a car that had gone off the road or off the street and hit a a pole. And no one had stopped. She immediately did a U-turn, came back, went to the car and discovered the woman in the car, entirely dazed and bleeding, airbags had all exploded, then someone else stopped, and they also came and In all of this, this person had such compassion for this poor woman who was bleeding. She called nine one one she helped her out of the car. she then crawled back in the car and found the the keys for her house and her office. She found her purse. She did everything she could for this woman. She was... She was passionate. She was supposed to go to work, but instead of going to work, she stopped and helped this poor woman who was in such desperate condition. What brings passion is looking carefully at the crying needs of those who are around us. And we are moved with compassion when we see their dire strait, when we see their anguish and their pain. But if you have insulated yourself from the crying condition of those around you, and you're not engaged with them, and you're not crying out to them, how can I help you? Then you're not going to have any passion. You're not going to have any feeling for the loss. But if you recognize that those precious ones are hell bound, that they don't have a chance, that they're going to be swept away in the fires. Oh, when you begin to get close to them and your heart begins to get connected with them in love, you begin to see the desperate condition of their heart. I have a a dear man that I love with all my heart. He's a brother, but he's not a Christian. And my heart is so filled with compassion for he and his wife and his children. I'm concerned about him and I do everything I can to help him, to encourage him. To talk with him about Jesus. Now, sometimes some people that I'm concerned for and my heart goes out to, and I try to talk to them about Jesus, and they'll get very angry with me. They might even yell at me, and that's happened on a number of occasions. I'm not going to talk about that. Don't talk to me about Jesus again. It's okay. but I have compassion for them. And I'm not going to stop talking to them about Jesus. Now they can write me off. They can cut me off. They can block my phone. They can refuse to even be with me. But if they're not going to do that, I'm going to be talking to them about Jesus. Not about some legalism not about some self-righteousness, not with judgments, not out of some false piety. I'm going to speak to them out of the gospel of Jesus. And I'm going to encourage them, and I'm going to call them to come to Jesus and surrender their lives to him and to ground the sword of their opposition. I'm going to do everything in my power to draw their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, I'm going to... I'm going to try to pull them out of the fire all the time hating the disgusting sin of their lives. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In other words... They're educated theologically. They might even have a little righteousness. But their deeds are lukewarm. Tell me, I don't mean to offend you, but tell me. What actions have you taken this week so far? I know it's Monday. What actions do you have planned for this week that will draw someone to Jesus? Who do you plan to talk to about Jesus? Or are you going to go again another week and do nothing for the kingdom of God except pay your debts, take care of your family, live your life, be invested in in your sports, be invested in your YouTube videos, be invested in making money, being a good Christian, but lukewarm. Dying. Without love, without compassion, without feelings of earnest, zealous concern for another person's salvation. He says... I wish you were either hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Is there anything more disgusting than vomit? I raised two children, and inevitably they would at times become sick, and they would vomit. And because I was a single dad, I had to clean up their vomit. I find it almost impossible to clean up somebody's vomit without vomiting with them. Now he gives them some direction. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, well, what is the gold? if you look at first Peter one, six, and seven, or you look at job twenty three ten or you look in other places, you'll find that gold represents faith. What actions have you risked for building the kingdom of God? Yes. I'm going to still talk about repentance. Yes, I'm going to still talk about having a pure heart before God. I'm going to talk about holiness, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But holiness includes compassionate love for the lost. Love includes laying down my life for my brother and my sister, for the poor. It includes taking tremendous risks with your money and your time where you can be taken advantage of. A dear sister, someone I'm ministering to recently came to me and asked if I would loan her money because she was in a desperate situation Well, it's a risk that I'll never be repaid. Is that okay? Yes! I risk it for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I risk money for Jesus. I risk time. I spend time with people. I don't know how to quite say this to you, so I'm just going to say it. I don't have time to try to build a great church. I don't have time to try to establish something big and exciting and powerful. I don't have time for that. I'm just a fellow traveler. I'm not anybody. I'm not important. I'm unimportant. The one who's important is Jesus. And he's given us the assignment of building his kingdom with compassion and love and mercy, of going into great risk for others so that they know they're loved, so that they know they're safe with you. I had an experience just yesterday where someone came with harsh judgments against me all the while professing love. Well, he he hasn't read First Corinthians thirteen, has he? Love is not rude. Love protects. Love guards. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? If we will begin to take risks with faith, And I know we always used to talk about faith for for money. Plant a seed with me and God will prosper you. It's a lie. It is a biblical principle, but the way they present it is a lie. They're only after their own money. And I sometimes say to people who believe that, well, why don't you plant your seed with me so you'll get rich instead of asking me to plant my seed with you, you know, That exposes the foolishness of this. No, God is calling us to take faith as a a weapon of war and stand by faith on the word of God and risk everything to build his kingdom, not to build my kingdom, not to build my big deal, not to build my big church, not to build my big radio ministry. No, God forbid. I listen to so many professional pastors as they talk so glibly about the end time events and pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib and trib, trib, trib. You know what? I'm not going to get into that nonsense. I want Jesus to come with all of my heart. But right now, I haven't finished my job of building the kingdom of God. And I don't know when it will be finished. It's not up to me to say when it's finished. It's up to me to live day by day, taking every risk for the kingdom of God. Secondly, purchase white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness, well, we're told in Revelation nineteen that those white clothes that we're to buy are righteous acts of the saints. It comes back again to what you do, where you stop being self-centered, you stop being selfish, you stop judging, you stop walking in arrogance and and pride before God. This is what we're called to. Instead, we're to show love. That love causes us to take all kinds of actions that we would not take if we did not love. I love my daughters, and there isn't anything I wouldn't do for them. I love my brothers. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for them. I love non-Christians. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for them. There isn't anything I wouldn't give them if it were in my power to give them. And most of all, I desire to give them Jesus, the Messiah the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the majesty of heaven, the love of my heart. See, I know that I have but a short time left on this earth, and I believe you only have a short time left on this earth. And I believe that in that short time, the work of the kingdom must be quickly accomplished. The gospel must be proclaimed. There are those who say, oh, there's not going to be a revival because... We're going to be raptured before the revival. I'll love it if we're raptured quickly. Tonight, today, I'm waiting. I'm looking. I'm expecting. But I'm also saying to the Lord, Lord, what about all those who are dying? What about those who've never heard the gospel message with love and compassion? They've only heard it with judgment and harshness. Put on the white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness. There's nothing uglier than a than a devoutly holy person who is judgmental. There's nothing uglier than a religious person filled with pride. Know where to put on love. And then he says, salve to put on your eyes so you can see. In other words, I'm not going to see correctly if I don't plead with the Lord, according to Luke 11, to baptize me in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Then I'll have eyes that can see. And what do I do when my eyes see? I see the pain and the anguish of my brother or sister. I see the pain and the anguish of others and my heart is moved with compassion. And then I begin to reach out to them. And I begin to take actions that risk my life. Actions that risk everything for the salvation of a brother or sister. Well, we're out of time for today. I hope you've heard. I hope your heart has been touched. We're still short for radio for this month, and if you'd like to share, I want to thank these precious ones who have given so abundantly. Thank you. Thank you. I know that's love on your part, and I'm overwhelmed by your love. If you'd like to give, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. Lord, I come today and I bring my brothers and sisters. I know, Lord, that there has to be a change. We've got to see what the kingdom of God is. We're going to have to see our role and what you've called us to do and be for the kingdom of God, not for not for money, not for family, not for... Not for me to get ahead in life, but, Lord, for your kingdom, for your glory, for your power. So, Lord, I come as no one before you to humble my heart and say, Lord, please have mercy on every one of us on this broadcast today. Minister to the brokenness of every heart. Encourage everyone, to stand up in you, Jesus, to begin to do the things that you call us to do so that we're no longer lukewarm, that we're hot, that we're identified with you, Jesus, that you are the Lord and the Master and the Savior. I pray this in your name. Amen. That's all the time we have today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. Let's talk sin.